Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. So open up your Bible, please, or you can follow along on the screen to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is about our Lord Jesus Christ. It is, as Jody said, it's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that looks forward and prophesies Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. David wrote it, King David, but he wrote it a thousand years before Jesus came. A thousand years. A thousand years before Jesus came. The Bible tells us that David was a prophet. God told David what was coming in the future. In Acts 2, verse 30, the apostle Peter said that David was a prophet. So David is looking forward to his Lord, his son, but his Lord, Jesus Christ. This is a psalm of the cross. It is the clearest, most explicit, most precise description of what our Lord Jesus suffered on the cross his suffering, his separation from God his Father, his anguish, the mockery, the reproach, the shame, the pain, the thirst, his pierced hands and feet, even the the gambling, the casting of lots for his garment. This is the Psalm of the Cross. Follow along in your Bible or on the screen as I read it, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out, and were delivered, in you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip, they wag the head, saying, commit yourself to the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb, You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, they look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, 
and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. From the horns of the wild oxen, you answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has performed it. This is the word of the Lord. We could go through this psalm point by point and see how precisely it lines up with the actual experience of Jesus Christ as he was crucified, but we don't have to use our imaginations with this. We don't have to guess. The men who wrote the Gospels in the New Testament, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them point to this psalm when they write about the crucifixion, every one of them. When they write of the crucifixion, they're thinking Psalm 22. For example, Matthew 27, 46. This is Matthew's account of the crucifixion. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's verse one of Psalm 22. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and what he says when he's hanging on the cross, he thinks of Psalm 22 and he quotes the first line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now think about this. Think of this. Think of what it means. Think of what he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So God is his father. God is, a, is, a, is the good father. God is the father. All other fatherhood is just a little shadow of this, of him. He is the father. And he loves his son. Remember what he says on a couple of occasions in the Gospels? This is my son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. There is a, an incredible intimacy that you see all through Jesus' life on the earth. He loves his father and his father loves him. He's always talking to his father. He is always communing with his father. He's always fellowshipping with his father. He's always doing what his father tells him to do. 
He loves his father and his father loves him. And yet here he is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken. He turned his back on him. He turned away from him. Why? His only beloved son, why? He forsook him because that's what we deserve. We deserve to be forsaken by God. You deserve to be forsaken by God, to have God turn his back on you, to have God turn away from you and never look at you again, to never hear your prayers, to never draw near to you, to never do anything to reach down to help you. This is what you deserve. This is what I deserve. It's not what Jesus deserves. This is my beloved son. And yet here he is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and he did. God forsook him. He is pouring out on Jesus everything that you and I deserve. We're the ones who deserve to be forsaken. Think of the pain of that. The one who had real, intimate, deep, eternal fellowship with his father, and now all of it's gone. He's he's forsaken him. The pain of that is intense. It's what all of us deserve. It's not what Jesus deserves. Listen to Matthew 27. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were mocking him and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. This mockery. So this is amazing. When Jesus is on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know who else quotes Psalm 22? The the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the ones who are mocking him, literally mock him with the words of Psalm 22, verse eight. They're playing out their part, written about them a thousand years before by King David. These words are on on their lips. Now think about the pain of this, the mockery. He claims to trust God. He claims that God delights in him. Yeah, right. Oh, so so God delights in you, Jesus? You don't look very delightful hanging there. If you'd come down from the cross, then we'd believe in you, sure. The mockery, taking what he had, taking that delight that God had in him, but now God has forsaken him. 
taking that delight and shoving it in his face. As he's hanging there, John 19, listen to this. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. That's verse 18 of this psalm. They divided my outer garments, they cast, for my clothing they cast lots. Now, that's weird, but we miss how weird, we miss how awful this is. Look at Psalm 18, look at verse 17 and 18. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Why is it that he can count all of his bones? Where are his clothes? They look, they stare at me. His clothes aren't on, they're down there with the soldiers. So, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? The mockery. Oh, come on, you, you, you said God delights in you? And now the shame. All my clothes are off and they stare at me. Verse 16 of this psalm. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now we know from the nature and the history of crucifixion that it involved nails that pierced the victim's hands and feet. This is what he's talking about. And we know that this is what happened to Jesus. Remember after the resurrection, when uh, Jesus has appeared to some of his disciples, he hasn't appeared to all of them. And, and in John chapter 20, the disciples are trying to convince Thomas Thomas hasn't seen him yet, and we call him Doubting Thomas, right? They're trying to convince Thomas that they had seen the risen Jesus, and here's what Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. They pierced his hands and his feet. It's exactly what happened to him. He still had the holes even after the resurrection, he still had the holes that Thomas could have put his finger into. Verse 15 of this psalm says this, my strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue cleaves to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death. And we read in John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing all things that had already been accomplished, he's hanging on the cross, knowing all, all things that had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. To fulfill what scripture? This one. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd 
and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. Abandoned by his God, forsaken by his father, mocked by everybody around him, the shame hanging there naked for the world to see, the pain, they pierced my hands and my feet, the thirst dried up like a potsherd laid in the dust of death. Verse six of the Psalm says this, but I am, I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Crucifixion was designed by the Romans to dehumanize its victim, to make him less than a man. And that's what he says, I'm a worm and not a man. Why was all of this coming on Jesus? Not because of him, but because of you. Because of me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mocked. Shame. Pain. Thirst. Dehumanized. Why? Because of my sin, your sin. And so over and over again, over and over again, with detail, with precision, we see that Psalm 22 is in fact the Psalm of the cross. By by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, King David points forward, way forward, to his descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ, and King David points forward to the key event in our Lord's time on earth, his suffering on the cross. Now what should we learn from that? What, what, what should we learn from this? Well, here's one thing we have to learn from this. We need to learn that the Bible is the word of God, just like it says it is. This book was given to us by God himself. Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God, literally uh, breathed out by God. This word, this book, was spoken, was breathed out by God. Second Peter 1.21 says, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is the word of God. And because this is the word of God, it's without error, it has absolute ultimate authority. When you read the Bible, you're reading the words of the true and living God. When you're reading the Bible, you can trust it. You can believe it, you can put all of your hope in it. And therefore you must submit to it. You are not above it, it is above you. You don't judge it, it judges you. It is the word of God. And God knows all things and God cannot lie. And when God speaks in the scriptures, he speaks the truth, even when he's speaking about things that are not gonna happen for another thousand years. You see? King David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a prophet, was looking ahead a thousand years and saw exactly what was going to happen to Jesus. 
How does that happen? How does that work? It's the word of God. And it's eternally true. And so that's the first thing we need to see in this psalm. It's the psalm of the cross. The sufferings of our Lord Jesus are laid out for us generations in advance. God's word is eternally true. But there's more here. This isn't just the psalm of the cross. It's not just the psalms of the, a psalm of the sufferings of Christ. It's also the psalm of the glories to follow. The Old Testament prophets, including King David, didn't just predict the death and the sufferings of Christ. They also predicted the glories, the victories, the exaltation that would follow his sufferings. 1 Peter 1 says this, 10 and 11. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. This is all through all the prophets. The prophets see the suffering of Christ, but they don't just see the suffering of Christ, they see the glory to follow. So does King David. This is exactly what David sees, not just the sufferings of Christ, but the glories to follow. Look at Psalm 22, starting in verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. He's, he's been forsaken by God. He's mocked. His hands and feet have been pierced. And, and then, yet he says this, I will tell of your name to my brethren. Who are his brethren? Hebrews uses this verse to say we are his brethren. All who trust in him. Jesus is looking forward to this. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel, for he is not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, what? He heard. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember what it says in the book of Hebrews that allowed our Lord to endure the cross? Do you remember what it says? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So even as he's on the cross, even as he is in fact being forsaken by his father, being mocked, being shamed, having the nails in, in his hands and feet, all of that, even as that's happening, he is looking ahead. Glory will follow. He will hear me. When did God the Father hear Jesus cry for help? When he raised him from the dead. He heard him. Verse 25, from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. 
and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. He's done it. What has he done? He's been exalted. He's suffered for our sins in our place and he's been exalted. Do you see this? Yes, Jesus suffered. Yes, he was mocked. He was beaten, he was spat upon, he was nailed to the cross, his body was shattered, not for his sins, but for yours and for mine, but that's not the end. By the Holy Spirit, the prophets of old predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It's hard for us to remember both, but we have to remember both. We tend to either focus on his death and sufferings or we tend to focus on his victory, but we need to focus carefully on both. If we ignore the cross, then we ignore the center of Christianity. We ignore the center of our faith. We ignore the sufferings of Christ, then we ignore the holiness of God. And we ignore our our own sin and rebellion. We ignore the righteous judgment that our sins deserve. If you downplay or belittle or don't think about the sufferings of Christ, you ignore all of that. You ignore the center of of Christianity. But if we ignore the glories that come after the cross, then we ignore the point of Christianity, the end, the purpose. Jesus did not stay on the cross. He doesn't remain in perpetual suffering. He died and suffered and was raised from the dead for a purpose. What's the purpose? Glory, exaltation, victory, authority, power. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. That is the point of his suffering. That's the end, that's the purpose. Now we see this all through the Old Testament. This is what the Old Testament is about. This is what our Lord Jesus said. In Luke chapter 24, we read this account of Jesus. This is after the resurrection. And you read this uh, account of some disciples of his. Jesus has been crucified, dead, and buried. He was raised from the dead. But these disciples who are walking along don't know that. They, They don't know that he's been raised from the dead. And Jesus comes and starts walking with them, and somehow he veils his appearance in some way that makes them not know who he is. And he starts talking to them and asking them questions. And they're sad. And they're depressed, and he says, why are you sad and depressed? And they say, say, where have you been? (laughs) Where have you been? Don't you know what happened? There was this Jesus, and he came, and and he performed miracles, and we were sure this was the Messiah who would rescue Israel, but now he's dead and gone. 
Here's what Jesus says to them. He said to them, this is Luke 24, 25 and to 27. He says, oh foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Don't you know anything about the Old Testament? Don't you know anything about your Bible? He's he's saying to them, don't you know? And then it says, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In other words, this is what the Bible, this is what the Old Testament is about. Jesus would suffer, the Messiah would suffer, and then enter into his glory. Don't you know anything about this? Of course he had to suffer and die, but he will enter into his glory. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. Suffering first, then glory. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 about Jesus being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason also God highly exalted him and gave him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Suffering first, then glory. What kind of glory? God highly exalted him, gave him a name which is above every name. Every knee will bow to him and confess that he is Lord. Universal glory. Psalm 22 says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's. He rules over the nations, all of them. Remember what Jesus said about himself, John 12, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, he's talking about the cross, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. All the nations are mine. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Later on in Luke 24, when Jesus is um, talking now, meeting with a different group of disciples on different occasion, and again, these disciples of his don't get it. They don't see the big picture. They're not kind of connecting the dots. They're not seeing all of the pieces that... Uh, Jesus is fulfilling the plan, God's plan was to send his son to suffer and to be exalted as the ruler of the nations and they still don't get it. This is Luke 24, 44. He says, he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and what? The Psalms, right? All the things that are written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then it says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, in all the Old Testament, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. Where? To all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. This is what the whole Testament is about, over and over and over and over again. This is what Jesus says we should be seeing. Suffering first, glory. And not little, little glory here and there, local glory, global glory. All the nations. This is the message of the Old Testament scriptures and this is the message of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it's melted within me. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. But then what? I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried out to him for help, he heard. And so all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship. That's what comes next. Glory, victory. His sufferings were not for nothing. And we do not honor him or his sufferings if we believe they were for nothing. Or if, if we reduce them to nothing. Now think about this, how do we do that? How do we reduce Jesus' sufferings to really nothing? pointless. Well, by being pessimistic and faithless about the power of the gospel, is the, is the gospel the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes or not? Is it or not? Do you act like it? I know I don't. Because if I believed that, what would I do with it? Use it. Use it. You know, I don't know. Eh, that guy, eh. you know. I don't think I could convince him. You know? I don't think I could convince her. No one's asked you to convince anybody. The gospel is the power of God for salvation and you don't believe it and neither do I. We can downplay, diminish the sufferings of Christ by being pessimistic and faithless about God's plans for the nations. 
We can be pessimistic and faithless about God, the power of God's word and God's spirit against our own sins. Did Christ suffer for nothing? Is your sin the one sin that is too big for him to handle? Has he met his match in you? Or did his sufferings accomplish something? Jesus did not suffer and die for nothing. He suffered and died so that he could reign. And scripture tells us over and over again, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So don't despise or belittle the sufferings of Christ by denying him the glory and the victory that follow. Now there's one last thing I wanna point out from this psalm. One last thing. There's a direct relationship between Christ's suffering and your suffering. There's a direct relationship between Christ's suffering and your suffering. Listen to Romans 8. The Apostle Paul says this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Exact same pattern. You're not a child of God unless you suffer with him so that you may be glorified with him, suffering than glory. Then he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. The pattern is the same for us as for our Lord, suffering than glory. And our Lord is the pattern and the example of our suffering. First Peter chapter two, listen to this. First Peter two, 19 to 23, listen. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? How many of you have ever suffered for, for your stupidity and your sin? Yes? Yeah. <laughs> Well, too bad. <laughs> That's what he says, eh, too bad. You, you know, you deserved it. I deserved it. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? To suffer. You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He called you as a Christian to suffer and to look at him, to look at Jesus. as an example for you to follow in suffering. And then it says, who committed no sin, nor is any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, while being reviled, you say you're the king of Israel, you say God delights in you, then come on down from the cross and I'll believe it. While being reviled, 
did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. How did he do this? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And so, Psalm 22 is our psalm. It is the psalm not just of Jesus' cross, but of our cross. This is a pattern and an example for you to follow as you follow your Lord Jesus into suffering. How do you deal with suffering? How do you deal with the suffering that does and will come to you because of your allegiance to King Jesus? If you have any allegiance to King Jesus, you will suffer. How will you deal with that? Will you learn from Psalm 22? Learn from Psalm 22. Look for just a second at how the psalmist prays in the middle of this suffering. Again, verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. What's the next word in verse three? Yet. Yet, yet you are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted, they trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered, in you they trusted and were not disappointed. You see what he's doing? Oh, wait a minute. I know something, I know who God is. I know what he's like. But then verse six, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip, they wag the head, saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. But verse nine, yet, wait a minute. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Do you see the yets? Lord, I'm suffering. Why do you forsake me? Wait a minute, yet he's holy. Lord, they mock me, they despise me, despise me, yet you're the one who brought me forth from my mother's womb. You've been my God. What is he doing? In the midst of suffering, he keeps entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. He keeps coming back to this. The suffering is real, but wait a minute. There's a God in heaven, he's my God. Not despair, hope. Even in the darkest night of your suffering, no matter what it is, remember the yets. Remember the truth of God. God is holy. He is good. He is trustworthy. He has promised to be your God. So turn to him. Turn to him. Seek him. Remember him. Remember what's true even in the midst of your pain. That's what Jesus did. 
Now, lastly, Jesus died for our sins. He suffered in our place, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. And he was suffered and died for sinners. And he offers you, as the risen Lord who's raised from the dead, he has all the authority to offer you peace and pardon, forgiveness, to make you right with God, if you'll turn to him. The peace that he offers you is signed in his own blood. Nothing stronger. So turn to him. Repent. Let's pray.